This is episode 363 of The Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase is going to take a look at Thor Love and Thunder, the newest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So what will he think about it? All that and more. This episode starts right now. What is going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of The Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast. I am your host, Chase Lee. And thank you for joining me on this day or night or whenever you're listening to this. You guys are awesome. And speaking of you guys, before we start this episode, if you could spread this episode around and just let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to, that would be much appreciated. You know, maybe there's a family member out there, a, a friend that you have in your group that not really a fan of movies. I don't know. Those people are weird, right? But like, maybe they're just not a fan of movies. Maybe they need to listen to the right podcast to get them motivated and to be amped up about this thing that we call movies that, you know, we are just all passionate to talk about. But maybe you could send this episode their way. Maybe we can turn them into a movie fan. Or maybe there's someone out there that needs to look for a movie podcast. You could just throw them this one. Uh, either way, week to week, you guys' support is just awesome. Thank you for doing everything that you do. Um, like I said at the top, this is episode 363. 363. We are getting up there. Uh, and this one um, is quite special, and I'll explain that in just a second. But the uh, main topic of conversation is going to be Thor, Love, and Thunder, the newest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think what I'm going to do before I get into the review is kind of maybe see where things are going. Uh, you know, we're four or five movies deep into this phase of Marvel, and so uh, it'll be interesting to talk about it. But yeah, and of course, just catch up with everything I've watched uh, throughout the week. But before I get into all that, I have to ask, per usual, you guys doing okay? You guys doing okay? Um, it's, um, you know, it's the uh, beginning of July at the time of this recording, so the summer is kicking up. I know this is not a weather podcast, but I will tell you what, every time I walk outside and my shower has just gone to waste and I just, I feel immediate sweat when I leave my front door. That's an issue. That is a problem. But uh, yeah, I hope everyone's uh, enjoying the, the heat out there, enjoying the summer. You know, just stay safe out there, whatever you guys are doing. But I hope everyone is doing well. For me personally, everything is going quite swimmingly. Uh, you know, just going week to week, you know, watching movies for you guys, hanging out with, you know, friends and going to work. And it's just, you know, it's just a grand old time. So I enjoy... Um, just my weeks now because like they just fly by and I look forward to the weekend so yeah just keeping keeping busy um and speaking of you guys you know right before I recorded this thing I was trying to see like what I could uh, talk about uh, for the rest of the month of July for you guys so you know I'm trying to make sure I have a consistent week to week with you all and you have an episode to look forward to or even if it's not a main episode you got some review to look forward to so that is what's going on with me personally nothing too much and of course this week was a big week I saw Minions, The Rise of Gru, you know, nothing feels more awkward than as a 32-year-old sitting in a theater filled with families and children and them just giggling and laughing at everything that the Minions do and you just sit there with a dark soul and you don't smile one bit. It's quite awkward, but uh, that was my Monday and then of course on Wednesday I saw Thor Love and Thunder, so super excited to talk about all that, um, but yeah, that was quite an experience. I'm seeing it again next week, so uh, hopefully I'll have a better understanding of, of some of the things, but I think I have a pretty good indication on how to talk about it with you guys but yeah so that was my week i didn't really catch up on anything too much i started uh stranger things for uh the last two episodes i started 30 minutes into the second to last episode it's good for what it is right now but we have to finish it um and then uh yeah in terms of like everything else just catching up on ms marvel um from last week i didn't finish the episode 
I'm liking this show. You know what's really great about these uh, uh, Marvel shows thus far with like Moon Knight and Ms. Marvel is that they don't really seem like they're connected to the overall MCU, but there's like little clues, little Easter eggs that kind of loosely connect it, but it's not like a hard connect, which is great. It gives it more breathing room to tell its own story and just kind of be its own character and have its you know own environment, it, it, its own world. And like it feels like its own world, but we know deep down it is connected to the larger thing. But yeah, I'm loving Ms. Marvel. It kind of reminds me a lot of like Spider-Man and kind of having like that coming of age tale of like, you know, this teenager just figuring out that they have powers and they have to kind of balance school and life and superhero life and all that stuff. And I'm really enjoying it. And, um, you know, the mystery with like Kamala's family and her family lineage, kind of connecting it to uh, her power set and just how that's going to kind of connect to the overall MCU going forward. That's super exciting. But I'm enjoying watching that week to week. It has been quite quite fun um and then of course i watched uh the season four premiere of westworld uh i don't know if i uh, spoke about it last week with you guys but it's good so far the one thing i'm really worried about with uh westworld is it's gonna overstay its welcome because the first season was fantastic sets up the premise of like these ai uh in this uh kind of western theme park for adults where they can bang robots and uh have drinks with them you know just like a like a disney disney world right uh but uh no you know the first season was great you know it kind of set up like the question like what if these ai had uh you know uh, what if they became sentient what if they had a mind of their own and they can like retaliate against the humans and so we got to kind of see that in season two um and in season three we kind of got to see them in the outside world so with season four, it's kind of a weird thing because, like, I'm curious to see how they're going to wrap up this story overall. But at the same time, it's overstaying its welcome just a little bit. But I'm curious to see where season four goes. But it's a solid start. I will uh, uh, watch it um, just for the sheer fact of, like, listening to that opening intro over and over again. Uh, cool fact, uh, same composer that did the opening thing for Westworld, did the opening thing for Game of Thrones. And speaking of the MCU, did the whole score for Eternals, which is uh, one of my favorite um, scores thus far. And so I, I listened to that on repeat on my, uh, my playlist, really great stuff, but yeah, same composer. So, uh, that gentleman is super talented. And, uh, just like with the secession, um, theme song, I don't skip that intro. Cause I, I will bang my head to that thing every single time I hear it. And, uh, I guess, uh, I guess I should reveal something to you guys. I don't know if I like, this makes me a psychopath, but I have the succession main title song on my playlist and I will listen to that on loop. I will also listen to it as to amp me up when I work out. So, you know, if you guys have to call the FBI on me, I don't know. Maybe I'll just start my own business and, like, um, become a multi-billionaire and just crush competition and just lose all my moral integrity. You know, who, who knows? Maybe it'll just turn me into a member of the Roy family. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, um, I love uh, certain theme songs. And uh, Back to Westworld, that is one of them. Um, yeah, HBO, uh, to me, has, like, some of the, the best – uh, opening theme songs to where I don't want to skip the intro. So there you go, HBO. At least you got that going for you. But um, yeah, uh, so saw season four, uh, episode one of Westworld. Solid start. Curious to see where it goes. And then uh, I still need to see season two of Only Murders in the Building. Love season one. I think that's a very fun kind of caper type of show. The dynamic between Martin Short, Steve Martin, and Selena Gomez. All fun stuff. Uh, I just need to catch up on it. I was kind of shocked that they filmed it so quick. Uh, didn't season one come out like last year? So like season two must have like, they must have hightailed it in the production uh, for it to come out literally a year later. 
uh, like this. Um, and speaking of things going into produ production, saw that Succession Season 4 is also in production. They uh, um, tweeted out the, the photo of the slate, uh, saying that they're going into production now, so super stoked for that. Now that I'm like fully invested into uh, those characters and realizing one of them is a complete D-bag, you know who I'm talking about, <coughs> Tom. Uh, so I'm curious to see like how they how they wrap all that up because uh, there's some major backstabbery going on with that. As far as everything else, uh, yeah, there's really nothing else I've been catching up on. Just been kind of a light week. Um, things I'm looking forward to. More Westworld to kind of see where it goes. Better Call Saul fans, get ready. In a couple weeks, that drops. Um, and they do, they do Mondays, so I will definitely be on top of that each week. So looking forward to the final six episodes for that. Uh, She-Hulk in August. And a couple other things. Uh, I, I made a list on my phone. Uh, I'll definitely catch up. But definitely got to finish Stranger Things uh, 4. Got to block off like a five-hour thing for that for two episodes. This isn't the last one like over two hours, so it's, it's crazy. But a lot to catch up on. And then I have a couple of uh, screeners that uh, I will be uh, watching for you guys and reviewing for next week's show. Um, so that'll be fun. So let me just kind of talk about that a little bit. Next week's show is going to be over two uh, smaller films. Uh, you know, you got to mix it up. If we're going to do an MCU film this week, you know, next week we'll do a couple smaller films. But it will be over uh, Don't Let Me Go or I, I forgot what it is. It's the John Cho film that's going to come out on Amazon Prime July 15th. Uh, I'm going to get the screener link for that. I'll watch that. And then uh, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. I've already seen that one. So uh, those will be the two next week. And then the following week will be Nope, the newest Jordan Peele, uh, Jordan Peele uh, film. And then uh, I'm going to take a break after that because there's really nothing coming out. And then the following week will be Bullet Train. So that is your prospects for the next few weeks. Okay, with all that out of the way, hey, Thor Love and Thunder is on the docket, right? So after watching the movie, I... I'm not going to say I'm confused, but I will say that Phase 4 is taking a little bit longer than usual to kind of get the ball rolling in terms of the overall picture. Because if you think about it, like back when Phase 1 was starting, the first Avengers came out in 2012. That was our first introduction to Thanos. I had no idea who he was. He just looked like a giant purple thumb to me. So I remember watching that movie, going home and researching it, and I was like, okay, this is like the next big bad. So sprinkled throughout like the next... like you know, seven, eight years before we get to Infinity War and Endgame, we had glimpses of Thanos. That was the the threat. And when we get into the spoiler section of Thor, I'm going to tell you why that's kind of an issue, but um, uh, we'll get to that in just a second. But as far as like where I see it going now, there is real no threat. Um, there is real no threat. Hey, sometimes I have uh, brain farts and you just have to deal with it. Um, but the major threat I've seen thus far is King the Conqueror. Now, he was introduced, obviously, at the end of Loki Season 1. He is a big bad in the comics. When I get into the, the spoiler section of Thor, you're going to realize how minuscule and just minimal it is. So, I have no clue where they're going. Now, the exciting thing is, and I'm sure I'll cover this on whatever week's show this is, Marvel's going to Comic-Con. So, they are going to probably give us all of phase five and i think uh, at d23 the following month they'll probably give us some casting announcements whether it be like fantastic four or directors or whatever but i think we'll have a clear understanding of like what's going to happen because the only theory that's running out there right now is secret wars now if you guys don't know what secret wars is apparently there is uh, a world that dr doom creates in the comics called battle world 
and he sends all the Avengers there to basically like duke it out and have like this Hunger Games type of event where they just like all slaughter each other. Sounds cool. Um, but that is, uh, first of all, you got to inter- introduce Doctor Doom. And of course, we're getting the Fantastic Four with all that. But we'll have scrolls to deal with at that point because we have the Secret Invasion show coming. Um, Ms. Marvel is also introducing like possibly Inhumans and interdimensional travel. Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, according to the end credit scene. Now we're dealing with the Dark Dimension. There is... I am a staunch defender of this universe sometimes, but there is... I think there's too much. I think there... We're going to have to kind of hone it in a little bit. And you'll, you'll kind of understand what I'm talking about when I talk about Thor. But, yeah, I honestly still have no idea where it's going. Eternals gave me kind of a, a clue because we kind of dealt with the Celestials at that point And the Celestials were, like, lording over Earth in the last scene of that. So, like, people of Earth know what they look like. And it's actually quite terrifying. So, it's like, how do you get bigger than that? Um, we'll explain that when I get to the review. But... That's the only clear indication I've, I know where the story is going, at least for the space stuff. Then you have like the on the ground stuff with like Falcon and Winter Soldier and like Hawkeye, uh, Ms. Marvel to some extent. So I don't know, man. They might get too big to where it's just not going to make any sense anymore. I, I will be a defender for the most part. There's definitely weaker films in the uh, the franchise, but I don't know, man. Th- this is um, this is going to get a little too vast, uh, even like. Think about it this way. If there is a common moviegoer out there that sees like maybe three movies a year, right? And one of them is a Marvel film and the other two are like family films. They want to kind of divide it out. Because you got to keep in mind, I might be crazy and watch all these movies. There are people out there that don't. And they'll just kind of like watch them randomly and out of order. And like, how do you explain this to people and keep them interested in like this really almost borderline convoluted story? So, like, that's the, that's the, I guess, problem you're going to have to, like, face and kind of overcome is how do you bring in new people into the MCU to become fans? How do you stick with the old people, like me, who's been with it since day one? Um, and how do you make it make sense? Because it can get really confusing really quickly. So, I don't really know. I just know that Celestials at some point will have to come into it because they are, like, the biggest threat right now. And, of course, Kang. So, I don't know. We'll see when Phase 5 is announced or, you know, some type of clue will be announced at Comic-Con. But, yeah, uh, even after watching Thor Love and Thunder, I still have no idea where it's going. Can be exciting, but also kind of worrying. Who knows? But, um, yeah, um, so let's talk about the Thor franchise real quick before I dive into the uh, main topic of conversation, Thor Love and Thunder. So the Thor franchise has been interesting because does anyone even remember the first Thor? Yeah, the one that predated the Avengers film. You know, uh, director Kev Branagh, who did like a lot of William Shakespeare adaptations, he kind of brought that sensibility to the first Thor, making it feel like a Shakespearean play uh, set in a fantasy world with superheroes. And so I like the first Thor. It's not anything special. Um, and then, of course, the end credit scene to that one was, uh, was it S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah, I think it was uh, um, Agent Coulson. He went to some desert in New Mexico, and that's where he found uh, Milner in the ground. And I think that's what kind of started, you know, the like whole, hey, we got to go contact him for the Avengers. So first Thor is great. Um, second Thor, no one remembers. The only reason that movie exists is to introduce an Infinity Stone. It really is. Um, no one remembers the villains. Do you remember? I'm going to give you five seconds right now. Tell me the name of the villain without looking it up. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, it is Malekith. 
You remember that creepy little gray elf that was like uh, running after like Thor and like Jane Foster? Yeah, no one does. Uh, it is definitely one of the weaker films in the overall MCU, not just the Thor franchise. So after the second one, it felt like the franchise was dead until Thor Ragnarok came out. Director Taika Waititi does a great job of balancing comedy and drama. Because when you look at the, the campaign, the marketing campaign for Ragnarok, it makes it, it pinpoints it as like this goofy Thor adventure with like jokes flying at you a thousand miles an hour, right? But then, if you really think about it, that movie has uh, Asgard blowing to shreds, Thor loses an eye, his sister gets killed, he finds out that Asgard is basic, was basically like using slaves to build up its empire, is built on corruption. Like, there was some dark stuff in that movie. So they did the whole bait and switch on you where it's like, oh, this looks like a really fun time. And then they get to the serious stuff and you're like, oh. But like Taika Waititi is really great at doing that. He's, he's a comedian. He, he's a comedy filmmaker. And what's great about comedy filmmakers and comedians in general, they know how to balance dark, dark subject matter and comedy. Does it work all the time? Absolutely not. You can get into the camp of like it being overtly goofy while not really making any sense for like the serious stuff because then it's going to feel like a tonal shift that doesn't make any sense. But Taika Waititi like really just showed us that he could create a, a great adventure, make us laugh, make us cry, make us feel like we're about to lose our characters. Um, the stakes were high and Ragnarok proved it. Um, I also like the banter between um, Hulk and Thor. Great little, you know, kind of buddy uh, adventure movie. It was a great revival of the character. And even Chris Hemsworth said himself, after Ragnarok, he was like, I will play this character as long as you want me to. Because that he was almost done. He, he was getting tired of the character. It wasn't going anywhere. But after Ragnarok, it really kind of elevated his character. And even in Infinity War, one of my favorite scenes of that entire movie is not even like the battle sequence at the very end. It's him and Rocket sitting on the ship. Rocket Raccoon is just asking him, hey, are you okay? And he is like, I am not okay, sir. He's like, I've lost everyone. I've lost my mom. I've lost my brother like three times. Because uh, Loki has died like three times in front of him. Super sad. Um, but yeah, he's lost his brother, his mom, his father at that point. Asgard, his whole home is gone. Half of his people were dead. The guy has lost a lot. And like that whole scene like really encapsulates like how lonely his character is, how sad his character is. And just seeing him interact with a mechanical raccoon, it looks goofy on paper, but it was one of the most heartfelt scenes in that movie and it really elevated his character and just provide a little bit more depth um, to the Thor um, character. And I, I really love that scene. So Infinity War even like made his character a little bit more fleshed out. So you're like, where does this character go? And that's where we land to this point, Thor, Love, and Thunder. Okay, so when we come back from the break, I'm gonna be going over Thor, Love, and Thunder, but I'm gonna do it like I've done with Doctor Strange and Spider-Man and Eternals. I will have it half and half. You guys will get a half non-spoiler review and then I will uh, give you a 10 second pause. I'm gonna give you your fair warning and I'm going all in. So if you wanna you know, listen to the half of the review, pause it and come back, you can do that. You can download it and watch the movie and come listen to it later. Up to you. Um, but yeah, when we come back from the break, we'll be talking about Thor, Love and Thunder. So I'll see you guys soon. <music> Thank you. 
and welcome back from the break. Now, this review is super special to me because the first ever episode I ever did, the Real Me and Cold Movie podcast, was over Thor The Dark World, so it's still awesome. Every time I review a film in the Thor franchise, it harkens back to uh, when I first started this uh, podcast for you all. So uh, this is why this review is a little special. I cannot believe I've been doing this for almost 10 years. Crazy. Anyways, let's not waste any more time. Let's talk about Thor Love and Thunder. Now, this one comes to us from Disney and Marvel. This is like their 30th or 31st movie uh, in this entire franchise. Absolutely insane. But uh, yeah, so uh, this is the fourth film in the Thor franchise. What is this one about? Thor enlists the help of Valkyrie, Korg, and ex-girlfriend Jane Foster to fight Gore, the God Butcher, who intends to make the gods extinct. So that is your uh, plot synopsis right there. Uh, definitely sounds very crucial for a person that is a God Butcher going after Thor, the God of Thunder. But uh, yeah, this is the fourth film in the franchise, and this is how I'm going to do this review, just like I've done with the past Marvel films in Phase 4. I'm going to talk about this film in a very basic format, very non-spoilery, and then I will dive into spoilers. I'll give you a, a pause, so that way you can click off the video and come back to it, or just don't watch this in general, save it for later. Do what you got to do, I completely understand, but there are a few things I... I want to talk about, and it's really kind of hard to skirt around it in the non-spoiler. So I will divide this up into two sections. Don't worry. Fair warning. We'll be in between. Okay. So going into this film, just like with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I'm actually quite, quite shocked on how different the marketing tactics for Marvel have been uh, as of late. With Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I found it kind of interesting because they, they started doing a different approach where like... They'll have three trailers, which are all pretty good, all mysterious, they kind of keep a lot of things under wraps, but they will also have a bunch of TV spots that reveal way too much. So I don't know what type of marketing people they have now. I don't know if they're different, but like they're doing a different approach, and I don't know if that's hurting the surprises and the reveals or, or, or what it's doing, because Kevin Feige, uh, president of Marvel, has said a million times, he's like, listen... I don't like what they're doing, but he has no control over marketing anymore. So, um, yeah, they're showing quite a bit. So, you know, with all the, the TV spots and the trailers, I was intrigued about this because, you know, with uh, Doctor Strange 2 and the Multiverse uh, Multiverse of Madness, you had, you know, like the Illuminati tease in that Super Bowl trailer. We all heard Professor X's voice and were like, oh, my God, I can't believe uh, Patrick Stewart's coming back for that. That's crazy. So with Thor Love and Thunder, there was really nothing too huge that you know i was looking forward to when i saw the trailers i just kind of like was like hey christian bale's coming back to be in a comic book movie that's awesome so i've, I've liked the marketing thus far because it's kept a lot under wraps and i love ragnarok uh taki waititi uh really brought a a sense of freshness to the franchise really uh utilizes his ability to make you laugh but also make you cry and really just make you feel the weight of these characters he's really great at balancing that ragnarok proved that he could do that so how is Love and Thunder? I will tell you right now, I like it. I don't think it's as bombastic or as visually arresting as Thor Ragnarok because that one was like a very uh, a vibrant movie. It was very just like very uh, uh, a punch in the face when it came to like the humor and the action sequences and just the, the flair and personality of Thor. It was way more than this one. But I will say that this one is another great Thor odyssey. It's got the humor. I think it dips a little bit too far into the goofy territory. But like the humor is there. The heart is there. And there's a lot of emotional weight to this that I 
didn't expect. Um, and it really kind of caught me off guard. And once again, just elevates this character. And he's four movies deep. This is the only character to have four movies in uh, his own franchise. And it just shocks me that they still find different ways to make his character just build on top of previous films. And so I do like this one quite a bit. My major complaint, honestly, I think two hours is too short. Honestly, you could you could have made this a little bit more beefier with the runtime. And I think it would have added a little bit more, I guess, impact from Gore, uh, from Christian Bale's character. Because um, I, I think he has great moments in the movie, but they are so fleeting that you're just like, he gave us a taste. I just want more. So that is like my only major complaint is that this film, honestly, it could have been a little bit more. And I heard that Peter Dinklage's character came back and Jeff Goldblum's character came back, but they were cut. So they had more story to tell. And I'm wondering if we'll get them in deleted scenes or what Marvel's going to do. But like, yeah, I once it got going, I was like, I am totally into this. And then it just, it just stops. And you're like, come on, man. So it might just be more of a selfish thing because I will say it two hours flies by it's one of the fastest marvel movies i've ever seen but um yeah my overall impression is that i like it so for the non-spoiler section i will say this taika watiti once again brings his sensibility to this film like he did with ragnarok um there's a lot of great visual gags in here a lot of great um improv lines that you can definitely tell that chris hemsworth had fun with because i will say this just off record that man is hilarious like i hated ghostbusters uh uh, the one with like Kristen Wiig and like Melissa McCarthy, it was fine overall. You know who was a bright spot? Chris Hemsworth, because he's got comedic chops. He he brings it to the Marvel franchise. Put that man in more comedies. Just don't put him in the Vacation reboot because that movie was awful. But like he is fantastic at delivering lines and just his timing is impeccable. So the comedy in this does lend itself to provide some really great belly laughs, right? But there are a few things. That Taika Waititi does and makes some choices. Their choices, all right. He makes some choices, and I think they veer off a little bit into cartoonish territory, and it got old really quickly. I'll, I'll explain that in the spoiler review. But, um, but uh, yeah, most of the comedy works. But I think what really helps this film is the emotional journey that Thor takes, especially with Jane Foster. Remember, they haven't been together since Thor: The Dark World, right? So they had that break from Dark World until now, it's been like eight years because the Marvel movies are in real time with our time, uh, you know, in reality. So um, it's been several years since they've been together. So it's more about their relationship and their romance and like how does it re rekindle that love and that fire between them? That's what this movie's about. Um, as Taika has said many times in interviews, this is a romance film. It really is. It's a romance film with fantasy action. I mean, that's basically what it is, but... I thought the uh, the relationship that they inhabit in this film is way stronger than in the first Thor film and the second Thor film. It's way more powerful here. And so when the the ending of the film sticks its landing, it's, you know, a little water in my eyes. I was like, you know what? That was a great, a great journey for these characters. And so I thought their love in this was way more powerful than the previous two uh, films. As far as like an overall like adventure for just like a classic Thor storyline, it's great. Uh, we see him go to different planets. We see him kind of explore the galaxy a little bit. And then, of course, running into Gore the God Butcher, played by Christian Bale, it's a real threat. Like, this guy has a, a weapon called the Necrosword that can literally slice through God's heads and, like, just kill them instantly. 
So, like, it's a powerful weapon that can just completely not only kill all the gods out there, but drain all the color in the world. Like, it, it's a very, like, um, insidious type of, like, just creature that just, like, kind of, like, lurks around and can, like, attach itself to you and just never let go. So, it, it's quite terrifying. Um, and that character is a really well-written character. And we start the movie out with him, by the way. I'm not going to say what happens. Um, but we start out with him so we get a little bit more into his backstory and why he's doing the things he's doing. Because that's what makes a great villain is understanding like where they're coming from and understanding um, and empathizing with what they're dealing with in terms of emotionally and their struggles. You can hate them, but understanding them on a human level is way more important to me because that makes them more three-dimensional and that's what makes a great villain. And of course, Christian Bale is just great, but we'll get into the performances. But um, this one also has like a, a visual eye candy component uh, to it. So Taika Waititi definitely knows how to, to uh, establish color and personality into films and really just making it pop, making it feel um, just super, I don't know, just really great to look like look at. Like he, he is a great visual director, not only when it comes to like gags, but also to like, you know, action sequences and stuff. Like he, he knows how to <laughs> at least set up a camera and, uh, you know, uh, film an action sequence from that standpoint. So, yeah, I, I like the story overall. I wish it could have been longer. I like uh, I like the journey that they all go on, and it, it doesn't have the same punch as Ragnarok, but I appreciate for what it is. I think Taika needs to do the fifth one and complete his trilogy. Now to the performances. Chris Hemsworth, the guy has been lived in this role for 11 years now. He knows what he's doing. There's really nothing to comment anymore. When the emotional beats hit, he can deliver. When the comedy beats hit, he can deliver. The guy's fully committed. He works out like eight hours a day and eats like, I don't know, like 1,200 chicken breasts a day to get the muscles that he has. So he's obviously committed to this type of role and this performance. So he, once again, embodies this character. He is this character at this point. He reminds me of like, when you think of Wolverine, who do you think of? Hugh Jackman. No one else. You think of that man. So it's the same way with Chris Hemsworth when people say Thor... Thor Odinson, you think of Chris Hemsworth. So I'm glad that he has lived into this point where, like, he's just the character now. Um, as far as the uh, other players, uh, like King Valkyrie, played by Tessa Thompson, she's not in it as much, but she kicks butt, as usual. Uh, I like her character. Korg, also voiced by Taika Waititi. Uh, fun little, um, you know, role that he can uh, insert his voice into. I have no issue with uh, that character. Um, Russell Crowe's in it as Zeus fun fun to see Russell Crowe in like um this party city getup of like what Zeus could look like holding around like this um giant uh, lightning bolt just you know haha I'm like the you know the king of the universe what a delicious role for him to just like chew into so I really liked Russell Crowe's presence and uh he also shows up uh maybe you know I'll talk about the spoiler section here in a bit but he shows up again and uh that will kind of set up the uh adventure for Thor 5 and the two I want to like kind of pinpoint the most are Natalie Portman and Christian Bale. Natalie Portman really owned this role. Not only did she commit herself and work out and get those guns on her, um, her character also had more depth to it. Really kind of uh, took a, a journey from where we first started to where she's ending up in this one. And uh, really just, I don't, I don't know, it was just a nice kind of sweet bow on top of the present you know it's just like 
you know, we, we got the complete package from her character in this film. And I thought she really kind of delivered not only the action sequences, but really sold us that, that emotional intensity that her character and what her character goes through, what it provides. She's fantastic. Um, I'll explain a little bit more in the spoiler section. But in the last uh, performance, I got to talk about Christian Bale. This guy is so good at playing evil, it's ridiculous. Do you guys remember back in 2000 when he played American Psycho? Good old um, Patrick Bateman, you know, uh, I'm going to kill you in your sleep as he's like peeling off his face mask type of vibe. Yeah, he does that here too. Um, not only is Gore extremely empathetic in the beginning because you understand like what he's going through. He's a guy that worships gods. And when he's betrayed, like obviously he's going to go on a war path to kill them all. That's not a spoiler. That's just who his character is in the comics. But Christian Bale can go back and forth. So at the beginning, you see that this, this man, he's hurting. He wants answers. He, he's going after the God that he worships so he can just find out how to fix like what has happened. Because like famine has like just spread all over his planet. So he's like, can you please help us? We, we worship you, sir. And so just the, the sadness in that man's eyes and like just the, the, the deep hole that he's missing inside of him, like you can feel that. And then when he's backstabbed, you can also feel his rage. Is he taking it too far? Absolutely. He's killing planets. But like there, there is that level there where like you understand where he's coming from. You understand what he's doing. And his performance reflects that. He is absolutely uh, threatening and creepy. Um, the the way that they do his makeup with like the the light grays with like the orange yellow eyes that they uh, digitally um, impose on uh, on him uh, later in editing, it works. He looks like a boogeyman, just like you know walking slowly throughout the night. Like just so, just even his body language exudes that character. And also, he has a personality. There's a couple scenes where he talks and he kind of has like a like a Joker vibe where he like, you know, kind of like taunts them and like um, imposes his threat on them while also like laughing maniacally and stuff because like the, the necro sword that he has, that goo that's on it, it's in his system now. So like he um, he's he, he he has it in him to where it's he's the host now. So it's it's no uh, no good. Um, you know, with, with that, like he's, he just has it forever. So you have to like kind of, um, break it, you know, in, in such a strong way like Thor does. Cause he has the weapon to do it. So Christian Bale's performance is great. Um, I think some of the CGI is a little wonky. Some of the green screen work and the compositing work definitely noticeable. And I've noticed it quite a bit on some of the recent films with like Shang-Chi and like Eternals and all that stuff. I appreciate Eternals for at least using real life real life locations and it really adds a lot to the scene and it adds a lot to the scope of the film but there were a lot of sequences in this one where i felt like oh wow this is clearly green screen this is clearly a compositing work they're not even in the same room it was i'll say it's it's a little bad sometimes but for the most part this being in space and for the most part you know new asgard's on earth but for it being in space, I think for the most part, it, it's really, um, really nice. Like there, the sequence between them and Gore when he is uh, fighting them in black and white, you've seen that in the trailers. That was cool. There was a lot of cool shots where they utilized like the moon planet that they're on or whatever with like 
the lighting from the sun and like the way they're fighting, like uh, some of the wide shot choices that he chooses. Like that was really cool. It looked like a miniature. So there's some some that work and some that don't. And like I said at the beginning, I thought it was too short. This should have been longer. Um, but I definitely am excited to watch it again. And yeah, I'm looking forward to Thor 5. I think that's the, the main takeaway I can uh, take from this is that after watching this, Taika, complete that trilogy, do Thor 5. I think it'll be great. So that is my non-spoiler review of Thor Love and Thunder. I like it. I don't know if I like it as much as Ragnarok. You know, maybe on a rewatch, I'll, I will think otherwise. But I like it overall. So what do you think of Thor Love and Thunder? Please comment down below and let me know. So that is the non-spoiler section. I'm giving you a fair warning right now. I'm going to go into the end credit scenes. I'm going to go into some of the things I uh, noticed. Um, so yeah, here's your warning. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, so I gave you a warning. Uh, I'm about to talk about stuff. So if you don't want to be spoiled, it's on you now. So a couple things I, I uh, noticed um, during the movie in terms of spoilers that I can talk about. And then, of course, the end credit scenes, that's a completely different thing. But the first thing is that Gore in the film has a daughter. She dies in the beginning of the film because they, she dies of starvation. And that's, this is what prompts him to uh, talk to the god and be like, my daughter's dead, my people are dead, like, is there anything you can do? And he laughs in his face. So um, at the end of the film, Gore actually sacrifices himself to bring his daughter back. And the daughter is now in Thor's possession. So it is them two fighting alongside now. So Thor 5 is going to be him and Gore's daughter. And Gore's daughter is not like some innocent child. She's got powers. She can turn evil really quickly. So I'll be curious to know how that dynamic works uh, moving forward in the Thor films. So he's basically a dad now. Um, he is by himself. Because also, spoiler, Jane Foster dies. Now, I knew she was going to because they were pulling from the cancer storyline. And she has cancer in this one, too. But in the comic line, she has cancer. And I'm assuming uh, they didn't explain how she gets cancer. But remember in Thor The Dark World, that ether goes up in her? That was a radioactive substance. So I'm assuming just like with that coursing through her you know, bloodstream for the majority of her life, she'll probably get cancer from that. So I don't know if that was the cause. I'm just trying to correlate with MCU logic. But she has cancer in the comic line. And when she wields... Mjolnir, because Mjolnir thinks she's worthy to hold it, she is temporarily healed, but when she drops that hammer or she drops um, being uh, Mighty Thor, her cancer's back. So she was going to die. I knew she was going to die. It was super sad. That was probably my favorite scene in the entire movie when she was like dying in Thor's arms and like he was literally losing the love of his life. And you're like, oh my God, like I can't believe like, He's literally lost everyone now. He's got a new chance to start over with uh, Gore's daughter. Um, I think they call her Love in the movie. Yes, cheesy. That's where the title comes from. But um, yeah, he's lost everyone now. That, that sucks. I have a theory on where that could go when I talk about the end credit scenes. But that scene was so poetic and so nice for that character to just wrap up. And knowing that like he cared about her so much that... like. He was willing to let her go on this like final adventure, even though he knew she was going to die. Uh, she wanted to do it because she wanted to work together with him because I think deep down she loved him still too, even though she didn't want to admit it. But um, she admitted it at the very end, but like throughout the entire film, she she teased him. But her death was really impactful, really like that. Um, 
yeah, I think that was the final thing. There was honestly not that much to discuss in the film in terms of like spoilery stuff. You guys saw the clip in the TV spot. The Celestials were seen uh, outside of Zeus's uh, Olympus. That can mean anything, um, but that also is nice to kind of see them have a presence in uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe beyond the Eternals film, so that's really cool. So let's talk about the end credit scenes. So the first end credit scene is that when they are in Olympus and Jane Foster, I think it was Jane, or was it Thor? Someone throws the lightning bolt right through Zeus's chest. And so at the the first end credit scene... Zeus is like, we must go get Thor. Here's a piece of crap. Like, we got to go get him. And he's talking to Hercules, his son. And guess what? Just like with Eternals, having uh, Thanos' brother being revealed as Harry Styles, the, the big actor reveal in this one, the gentleman playing Hercules is Brett Goldstein. And you're like, who is that? If you watch Ted Lasso, you know who that is. Um, he's... Uh, uh he's the guy that like he's really aggressive with his language and like he's a really intense character i forgot i'm blanking on his uh character name until lasso but it's him he's hercules so uh he basically turns to hercules like you better go get thor and he's like i got you i got you dad I, that's not what he said but like you know something like that so i think that's where thor 5 is going um and then the second end credit scene was interesting so jane foster actually her soul transports to valhalla which is the the place that um, Asgardians think that they go where, where they go when they die. Now, Marvel's been playing a lot into the death thing as of late because of um, uh, Moon Knight. We saw the ancestral plane with that where, where he died. We've seen it in Black Panther. Ms. Marvel's also dabbling in an ancestral plane where you go when you die if you um, uh, believe in that type of like uh, power. So they're getting a lot more into like death and religion, which I find is interesting. And they even do it here too with like Christian Bale's character, because Gore um, is like gods do nothing, you know. We must kill all the gods. They only think for themselves. They're selfish, and he's basically talking about Christianity too. So it's an attack on all religions and like hypocrisy that some of them can bring. So I find that interesting that Marvel's willing to go down that path and die on that hill, basically, um, and have their their commentary on it. So, I, I mean, I like it. Go for it. Be bold. Be creative. But the last scene is uh, her entering Valhalla and Heimdall's there. So Idris Elba's, uh, uh, Idris Elba comes back um, for the one quick scene. But what that tells me is that when Thor is killed off, he will be re reunited with Jane in Valhalla. And that brings a tear to my eye because it's like that... That's perfect for their characters to wrap up in that storyline. He'll get to be with Jane in the end. Like, they'll get to live together forever. He's going to have to die to do it, but it's nice to know that, like, when his soul is transported to Valhalla, he's going to be with all of his friends and be with Jane, and, like, that's going to be his paradise. That's where he's going to go after he has fought hard with all these villains and fought hard to protect his people. He will finally get to rest in Valhalla, with Jane Foster. I don't know if that's what's going to happen. But I have a feeling when, when Thor finally kicks the bucket. He'll finally be reunited with everyone. And that will be the perfect send off for his character. So I think that's why they introduced that in credit scene. With Jane Foster going to Valhalla. So that's just my, my theory on that. But that's really it. 
you know, not no really big cameos. Sif comes back. So Jamie Alexander, two scenes. I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's not really any, any big reveal. She's always been a part of the franchise. But, yeah, that's about it for the spoiler section. I really have nothing else uh, that I can think of at the top of my head. It was mainly just those two in-credit scenes and a couple of uh, points in the movie. Uh, that Oh, I've, I talked about it earlier. There is one thing. It's a big thing. They name drop, and we also get to see Eternity, the character. If you guys look at any type of comics, or if you're like me and you want to be lazy and do the cliff notes, go to New Rockstars on YouTube. They go over everything in detail. Eternity is like the Watcher, um, or like the Living Tribunal, or Death, or um, who's the other god? I forgot, but like those are like the the top of the top. So all of these storylines with Thanos or Kane the Conqueror, they're small potatoes. Think about it. In this movie, uh, when Gore sacrifices himself to bring his daughter back, I see in the reflection pool that his daughter, when he when she's walking up, it's Eternity. You see it in the reflection. So is Eternity just walking around as a small little girl on Earth? Because Eternity is the end-all, be-all. Eternity is what sets up everything. It is the top god. So where do, where do you go beyond that? You, you can't... The only thing that I can think of that even like tops that is Galactus. The planet-eating villain. That would be the end-all, be-all. Or like Celestials blowing up Earth. Because we, we got that hint in Eternals... Ereshkigal the judge was just like if you, if people of earth are not worthy I'm blowing the, the crap up on this planet. So eternity was introduced in this. That's a huge deal. And my friend that I took with the see the movie, he he's not really sure if it was just a name drop or if like what we saw was just like a version of eternity, but like it's very clear that the little girl on earth is eternity. I don't know how they're going to do that, man. Like, that's like the that's like the top god in MCU comics. So, I don't know. I'm just confused. But you know what, Kevin Feige? You got me wrapped around your little finger for this many years. I'm going to stick along with your storylines until I just lose interest. So, I'm curious. Go big or go home, right? At some point, you will have to end all this. So, yeah. Um, eternity crazy and that is my thoughts on thor love and thunder please comment down below what you thought of the movie and uh that will do it for episode 363 of the real me and colon movie podcast thank you for joining me on this wonderful day or night or whatever you're li whenever you're listening to this for this uh you know very awesome movie podcast show i think it's awesome and i hope you uh guys do as well for next week episode 364 it will be the new john cho film uh uh don't let me go or i i I, I apologize for not doing my homework on that, uh, but it is going to be a film that drops on Amazon Prime Video July 15th, and then I will also talk about A24's Marcel, the shell with shoes on, uh, the character that was voiced by Jenny Slate. It was a very popular YouTube series, and now they made a feature film. So that will be next week. So two smaller films uh, after the beefy conversation I just had with you on Thor Love and Thunder. Um, so that will do it for this week's episode of the Real Men Colon Movie Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I am your host, Chase Lee. You guys are awesome. Please, please, please have a good day, good night. Whenever you're listening to this, spread this episode around. Let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to. 
And I'll see you guys next week for another episode of this movie podcast. Goodbye. Thank you.